Welcome back to our study of 2 Kings. Due to an unexpected power outage, this session is only on audio. There's no YouTube video, so I apologize for that. But as I said, we're continuing in our study of 2 Kings. That In the last two chapters, uh, the focus has been on the kingdom of Judah. But now in chapter 13, the focus is returning to the kingdom of Judah. Of Israel. Now remember that after the reign of Solomon, the nation of Israel was divided into north and south. The northern kingdom was Israel, the southern kingdom was Judah. And so the period of Israel's history that we're reading about now is that period where those uh, two halves of Israel are divided, and the northern part is called Israel, and the, sec- the southern part is called Judah. Now, Israel in the north is careening toward exile, and chapter 13 reminds us why. We're getting pretty close, actually, to the exile of Israel. That's going to take place in 2 Kings chapter 17. So we're getting really close to that event, and chapter 13 reminds us why that event is coming. So let's look together. We're just going to look at the first half Uh, give or take, of chapter 13. We're going to look at the first 13 verses and save the rest of the chapter for another time. Verse 1 says, In the 23rd year of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, king of Judah, Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, began to reign over Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 17 years. So there in that first verse, we are introduced to a new king, uh, king of Israel, right? So it's Jehoahaz who is going to reign or who did reign uh, over Israel and Samaria, Samaria being the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel, and he reigned for 17 years. Now let's see what kind of king he was. Verse 2, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He did not depart from them. So he was not a good king. Jehoahaz was not a good king. Uh, He did what was evil and wicked. You might recall that back when Israel and Judah were divided from one another after the reign of Solomon, the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel was this man mentioned here in verse 2, Jeroboam. And Jeroboam had two golden calves made, one kind of toward the southern part of his kingdom near Judah, one in the northern part of his kingdom, so that the people in Israel would go to worship at these golden calves instead of going to Jerusalem to worship at the temple, which of course is where they were supposed to worship, where God wanted them to worship. So Jeroboam established idolatry from the beginning of the kingdom of Israel's separation from Judah. And we're told that this new king, Jehoahaz, he's doing the same thing that Jeroboam did, or at least he's not putting a stop to it, right? He's uh, walking in that same, uh, or following, it says, uh, the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So verse 3 says, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them continually into the hand of Hazael, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael. So 
Israel is continuing in idolatry, continuing in sin, and as a result of their sin, chiefly idolatry it seems, God was angry with them. Uh, They were warned about this, right? Uh, In the Ten Commandments, in Exodus chapter 20, God says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So they were told not to worship other gods, not to make images and worship them. God does not tolerate that. He's a jealous God. He wants to be worshipped alone because he's the only God and he wants to be worshipped rightly, not through an image that uh, is not true to who he is, no matter what image it would be, right? It would it would distort our um, understanding of who God is. And so um, that's implied there, I think. Um, it, that's not an explicit part of the command, but um, I think that's, I think that's, implied in the command not to make images is that those images don't represent him. So um, they knew this was wrong, right? They've been told. And as a result of their sin, and we could even say persistent sin, because this has been going on for some time, uh, God gave them into the hands of their enemies, the Syrians. And this also God warned them about. In Deuteronomy 28, which I think we've talked about before, uh, God spells out for them the consequences if they don't obey. So in Deuteronomy 28, 15, it says, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. So this is God warning them. If you don't, keep the commandments, if you don't keep the covenant, if you don't do what I told you to do, then these curses are going to come upon you. Well, well, what are those? Well, here's one in verse 25. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And then again, later in verse 32, The Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone. So two curses highlighted there, or that I'm highlighting here. One is that you'll be defeated by your enemies, and the second is that you'll be taken into exile in a foreign nation and worship idols there. Now, the exile part hasn't come yet. That's coming in chapter 17. We haven't gotten to that yet. But the defeat before their enemies, that's happening right here. Again, in verse 3, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them continually into the hand of Hazael, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael. And if we skip down to verse 7, we see how bad their defeat uh, really was when God handed them over to their enemies. Verse 7 says, For there was not left to Jehoahaz an army of more than 50 horsemen, and ten chariots, and ten thousand footmen. For the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like the dust at threshing. So that was was a thorough defeat. Ten chariots was all they had left. Um, Fifty horsemen, right? That's not much. So this 
defeat is coming as a consequence of their sin. They've done what God warned them not to do, and so they are experiencing the consequences God, God warned them would come if they did not keep his covenant. But look what happens in verse 4. Then Jehoahaz sought the favor of the Lord, and the Lord listened to him. For he saw the oppression of Israel, how the king of Syria oppressed them. Verse 5, Therefore the Lord gave Israel a savior, so that they escaped from the hand of the Syrians, and the people of Israel lived in their homes as formerly. Now, this is pretty amazing, right? Jehoahaz seeks the Lord, seeks God's favor, wants God to help them, to deliver them, to rescue them. And God hears him and doesn't just hear him. He's not just aware of Jehoahaz's request. He listens to him. He responds to him because it says he saw the oppression of Israel. These are still God's people. Even though God is angry with them, even though they have sinned against him, even though they have turned from him, God still loves his people. God still cares for his people. And so when Jehoahaz seeks God's favor, God hears, God sees the oppression of his people. And so what does he do? Verse 5, therefore the Lord gave Israel a savior. He sent someone to deliver them, to rescue them so that they escaped from the hand of the Syrians, it says. Now, this is the same pattern that we see in the book of Judges. The the judges were, in a sense, saviors. They were deliverers. Israel would sin against God, turn away from God, and so God would send an enemy to oppress them. Then Israel would call out to God for mercy. God would hear them and raise up a judge to rescue them. And then they would turn back away from the Lord, sinning against the Lord, and the same thing would happen again. The enemy would come to oppress them. They would call out to God for mercy. God would raise up a judge to deliver them. It shows us both the persistence of sin in the people of Israel, and we could say in all people, right? It's not just true of Israel but it also shows us God's continued mercy, his faithfulness to his people, his steadfast love, right? that even when his people have sinned against him and are getting what they deserve, when they seek him and cry out to him, he delivers them over and over and over. right? And, and this just so easily and beautifully leads us to the gospel, right? Because the gospel is Jesus, is God doing in um, the fullest way, we could say, the most ultimate way, uh, what he has already been doing in in some smaller ways, so to speak, uh, before that in the Old Testament. Uh, Romans 5 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right? He came to deliver us. Um, God justifies the ungodly, Romans 4 says. We don't have to become godly. We don't have to be righteous. We don't have to do the right things first before God saves us, before God forgives us, before God declares us righteous. When we're in the midst of our sin and we turn to him and cry out for mercy, he saves us. 
Right? When we trust in Christ that we are ungodly sinners, his death is applied to us, our sins are atoned for, and we are counted righteous in God's sight. God loves his people. God shows mercy. Even to people like you and me that others will look at and go, they don't deserve that. You might look at Israel and go, they don't deserve that. Well, they didn't, and neither do we. That's why it's grace. And yet, Israel, despite that grace, here continues to sin. Verse 6, Nevertheless, they did not depart from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin, but walked in them. And the Asherah also remained in Samaria. So God showed them mercy and grace, but they chose to continue in their sin. And again, because of that, God, more serious consequences are going to come. Exile is coming. Right? And not just because of that, but because even when the next king comes, the same thing is repeated. Uh, verses 10 to 13. In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, began to reign over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned 16 years. He also did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin, but he walked in them. Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did and the might with which he fought against Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Joash slept with his fathers and Jeroboam sat on his throne. And Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. So like father, like son, right? The next king of Israel did the same thing that Jehoahaz did. His son did just like him. He followed in the evil ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who established idolatry in Israel. And Israel was still caught in idolatry. And because of that idolatry, they will go into exile when the Assyrians come to take them away. But remember that even in the midst of their sin, when they recognized their need, when the king recognized their need and called out to God, God had mercy. God gave them a Savior. Whenever you recognize your sin, whenever you recognize you've gotten yourself into a mess, you know you don't deserve for God to listen to you. You know you don't deserve for God to deliver you. Remember that He's a God who's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, as God told Moses in Exodus 34. Call out to him, even though you don't deserve it. Trust that he'll hear you. Ask him for mercy, knowing that he loves to show mercy. Remember that he sent Christ, he sent his son to save us, while we were yet sinners. That ought to remind us just how deep his love goes. God bless.